There used to be a television show. There still is, but it's in a different format. It was called To Tell the Truth. Remember that? Some of you have seen the new, and some of you have seen the old. I really... I'm sounding like a grumpy old man now. I really like the old one better. <laughs> the reason why I like the old one is because, you know, it was my name is so-and-so, and my name is so-and-so, and my name is so-and-so. And then, you know, they, at the end, I mean, they asked good questions. I mean, they tried to find out who they were in truth. And two out of the three of obviously weren't telling the truth. And then, of course, at the end, you have the traditional, is it you, is it me? You know, they stand up and down, and finally the one stands up. The new one is just, I mean, it's got parts of that, but then it becomes really, really a, uh, just a, a way for some people to ask stupid questions, you know. Uh, they try to be funny, but, but it's still the same thing. Who are the ones, or, and, and then after they get one gone, they, they do it again with the other two, you know. It's, but anyway, uh, we, can, we can discuss the pros and cons of the old to tell the truth and the new tell the truth later. But the point is, somebody's lying. Our heads are spinning right now. We don't know what to believe. And it's exactly what Satan wants. We have confusion, we have doubt, we have rebellion, we have blurring of the lines. We read about the Israelites and as they left Egypt and we read about the prophets and we see what happens when truth disappears. When truth disappears, everything seems to go into chaos. Just look about any time in history. If you look at any time in history, you're going to find that same concept happening. And as I said, our heads are spinning very much as Pilate's head was spinning. When confronted with Jesus, he asked, what is truth? You ever watch a catcher in a baseball game? <clears throat> I know everybody has, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I said something about this last week. Uh, I, I use way too many sports analogies, but, but here goes another one. But if you ever watch a catcher, and if you've never watched this before, uh, Coach can tell you this, uh, watch it sometime because what happens is when the pitcher pitches the ball and it's slightly outside, you know what he does? He moves it inside. That's right. The catcher tries to get the umpire to see something differently than what it really was. He always just slightly moves. And I feel like that's what's happening in our world today. That when truth comes or when a lie comes, Satan takes and just kind of slightly moves things a little bit. I read about three umpires. And they were talking about the games that they ump. And the first said, there are balls and there are strikes, and I call them the way they are. And the second umpire looked at him and said, there are balls and there are strikes, 
and I call them the way I see them. And the third umpire said, there are balls and there are strikes, and they ain't nothing till I call them that. We have the same call for balls and strikes for different reasons. The first calls them in reality. The second calls them as he perceives them. And the third calls them that they don't even exist until he, he calls them. And we can see all three of these umpires throughout history. I call them the way they are, the psalmist said. Never take your word, uh, never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. If you read the Psalms, you'll find that there is an emphasis on God's laws, on the things that He has set out for us to follow. And, and Jesus is even more specific as he, as he teaches his disciples. In Jesus' prayer, if you'll remember, he says, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. But the problem has been some of you uh, have used the word for their own benefit. To prove a point. To beat somebody over the head. Job's friends, they took scripture and they beat him over the head with, with what they deemed as truth. They kept asking him, you know, Job, the reason why all these things happen to you is because of the things that you've done. What have you done? And they asked him over and over and over again, and they beat him over the head with it until he finally kind of relented and said, well, you know, I might have, but God finally sets him straight in the middle of all that. And that's exactly what the Pharisees did. And we are hard on the Pharisees, but you know what? They did a lot of things right. They followed the letter of the law a lot of times. But they used it to their own advantage. They used it really, as I've said before, to beat people over the head with it. And so we, we, we kind of take the, the, the view of that first umpire. There are balls and there are strikes. And I call them. Then we have, I call them the way I see them. We can see in history, there came a period of time called the Enlightenment. Before that time, everything was attributed to God. Everything uh, was God, and it was for God. And then down through the years, what we find is, is things changed a little bit. And they started uh, the scientific method. And before... Before I get too far, I don't want you to think that I'm anti-science because I'm not. I have an undergraduate degree in science. And so we, we sit there and we say, well, the Enlightenment came and, and, and we got smarter and we got smarter and we got smarter. And if you just put things through the, the scientific method and you crank the crank of scientific method and in the end it'll come out and you have truth. And it's interesting because what has happened is you slowly see God being edged out of the picture. Because you see, we're so doggone smart, we don't need God. The Industrial Revolution came along and, and great things happened, but slowly God was taken out of the picture. And so we have this, 
this period of time where, where, where people who continue to look to God were really ostracized and looked down upon. It's happening right now because we're just so doggone smart. God is slowly displaced. And then we have there are balls and strikes, but they don't exist until I say so. Isn't this where we are today? Isn't this where we are today? Truth is not discovered, it's created. Truth is not objective, it's not absolute. My truth may be different than your truth. And so everyone determines what their truth is. And you can't foist your truth on my truth. Because I have truth, you may have truth, and everybody's truth is okay. And I know you've heard this. You've got to find your truth. It's no wonder we're in a quandary. It's no wonder we're just kind of all over the place. It looks pretty bleak, doesn't it? Isaiah says, truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. Sometimes I wonder that. Truth is nowhere to be found. Isaiah also said, woe to them that call evil good and good evil. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. But I believe there's hope. I believe there is a ray of sunshine. I'm not here today to just put people in place. You need to do what I say you need to do. You need to hear what I have to say because I have the truth. And to tell you to turn or burn or give you some kind of warning of impending doom, that's not what I'm here to, for today. Instead, I'm here to give you an absolute. And, and I've got to admit, the older I get, the fewer absolutes I have. In the Old Testament, God through Moses had given the Ten Commandments. And then he gives them this. And I think this is very interesting. I think it's interesting because he has given them the Ten Commandments. And then he says these words. These are the commands and the decrees and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life here, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God 
with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Because you see, if we love God with everything we've got, and I think it was Franklin a couple weeks ago was talking about, you know, loving God with everything you have, and, and the word was bowels, that you, 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 from the inside out, you love God with everything you have, not because we have to, but because we want to. In Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. And by the way, what they were arguing about uh, was, was whether or not uh, there was marriage in heaven, the Sadducees. And of all the commandments, they asked him, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. To love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to what he says. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. I, I suspect we have umpire number one here. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. He said, you, You're just real close to the truth. You see, I'm, I'm making an assumption here. I'm, I'm assuming that this, this teacher wanted him to come right out and say, everybody else is wrong. I want you to, to tell everybody and condemn everybody how bad they are. And Jesus says, no, what I want you to do is love me with everything you got. Jesus even called himself, and the Whitbecks so wonderfully read today i am the way and the truth and the life and i've talked about this before that that little article the it it, it takes out all the rest if it's the then it's the one it's the only one and jesus says i am the way and the truth and the life and if we want to understand what truth is we must look to jesus we must look to him. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says this. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when 
you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self to be created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. If we're looking for the truth, we find it in Jesus. That's why I read that passage at the very beginning. That he is the firstborn over all creation. That he is the one. He is the way and the truth and the life. And truth is only found in doing what God has said for us to do. Let's pray. Father, forgive us. Forgive us when we, we try to come up with our own truth. When we try to do things our own way. Father, I just pray that we will love you with every bit of our being. That we will do everything that we can to follow you. That we will hear your word. And that we understand and we know that Jesus not only is he the firstborn of all creation, but he is the way and the truth and the life. Help us to hang on his every word. In Jesus' name, amen.